Thank you everybody for joining this roundtable. Uh, I'm very happy to be here today alongside the World Economic Forum in Davos. And uh, it's so great to be here. It's my first time in Davos, but <laughs> it's great. Um, well, um, this is all about meeting people and network with, with people. So um, thanks to all these great people around the table. Uh, it's all started with Rudy, uh, bring this idea. Thank you for your support in this project. You're welcome. Uh, actually, uh, we started uh, this uh, new company, Impact Philanthropy Advisors, with my friend and uh, partner, uh, Anita Laternzer. And we discussed with Rudy uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about the project and uh, what we want to do. We want to bring philanthropy in the third millennium and we want to have impact actually uh, in the world of philanthropy. And uh, so Rudy brought the idea, well, let's start. Uh, why don't you start this in Davos? And it makes more sense because it's just following uh, another great event the World Systemic Forum, which you have run last Saturday uh, with the System Change Foundation. And it was such an amazing, energizing moment. Uh, I'm still very excited about it. It was great. And um, so here we are today uh, to bring um, in Davos on the agenda, the topic the, of philanthropy. And um, we thought that the first thing we should start with is to ask people with experience, with a strong expertise, what they think about philanthropy and how can we make impact with philanthropy. So um, for the beginning, I would very happy to ask uh, Rudy to give his vision and tell us more about what happened and then we will follow up with the round table. Perfect. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, for myself, it's very important that we talk about change and not about improvements. Everyone talks about improvements. Improvements mean you can plan it. You know what you do and you try to do it better. But I think if you do wrong, do wrong things better, they get better, but they're still wrong. And this is a, a huge problem. That's if, and if you talk about change, that hurts. That usually big change happens when there was a breakdown and you can start fresh from zero. Um, but it's really difficult to understand and people are not ready for it. And I think as well in, in Davos, everyone talks about this, improving the world and doing the things better. But we have to start to think in new ways, new directions. And what we need, we need brilliant minds who are able to do things we don't know yet mm -hmm. because nobody has the answers. And that's why we have to focus on the question first, but what's it all about and how do we get there? And we should not try to be perfect. Because perfectly you always do the things where you know you can improve them and you can do it perfect because you can plan it. Change, because you don't know, you have to do the mistakes. That's why you need a brilliant minds. That is more a behavioral thing where you then support them with, with a lot of energy in form of money, because money is nothing else than energy, what we need, but with new perspectives. And then you can let them do. And, and I think, so I'm coming from a country without the military, but I think big achievements came out of the military, so personal computing, GPS, uh, internet, all, all the great... Nobody thought about the business model of things, and it's the biggest market ever that would come out of this. And we need the same 
attitude for climate crisis. It's, it's war, but it's a common war f from the world. That's why we always think instead of outside the box, without the box, without nation, without power dynamics, without, this is the reason why we are in Vaduz. So I'm from Vaduz as well. I think that made my special <laughs> behavior. I don't know. Um, but now is the time to, to sorry, um, uh, to start change, to talk about change, to bring money together, that people who are smart with capabilities that they can try out, that they make the mistakes, to find solutions. But um, I think it's not the technology, it's the behavior. And this is why I brought a guest today as well, Shatta, uh, she's a behavioral scientist, she's as well an advisor of Kamala Harris, and uh, she's a dear friend as well. And I think this is important as well, what we do is, we try to work in a trustful way that, that we can be a bit crazy because everything is crazy when you start it. And then it, it will be the new normal if it works out. Not everything will work out, but a few things will work out. And this is what we try to do. But this is now I, I give the word to you, sure. Shata, and you can explain how important behavioral scientists are when we talk about change. Thank you, Rudy, and thank you for bringing. This is just about networking and bringing people around the table. So you're most welcome and uh, happy to hear you. Yeah, thank you for having me. If there's one message that I can leave this community with from the perspective of a scientist who has worked in private sector, public sector, and science policy, advising those who make decisions about where grants go, uh, how to allocate private funding, public funding, it's that we need to remember that the individuals that are on the receiving end, all of the stakeholders, all of the actors, whether it's the end uh, recipients, whether it's those who are making decisions on behalf of those recipients, whether it's public advocacy groups, whatever the issue across whatever sector, they do not have the same perceptions. And that seems obvious in hindsight, but actually it's something that's really overlooked and it's why the impact isn't realized that could be realized. So I implore you as a behavioral scientist, as you think through how to make the most impact as of in philanthropy through public and private funding and donation and charity and, and uh, bringing together consortiums that can really progress and advance um, innovations towards overcoming some of these big global crises that we all face. Rudy just mentioned the climate crisis, but there's so many things. We're here in Davos, we're talking about so many different issues, and we really need to mobilize the funding to be able to overcome those issues. So I implore you to think about who your end recipient is and how their perceptions vary. Different audiences have different mental models, and that's the most jargony thing I will say as a scientist. But if you take the time to understand these different perceptions and these different mental models and find trusted spokespeople, this is my main message, whoever that might be, and it, it could be UNICEF. UNICEF has an incredible brand, but it might be a collaboration that UNICEF creates. Uh, the UNDP, for example, created the Frankie the Dinosaur, which was a incredible mascot for um, for getting rid of fossil fuel subsidies. There's ways to come up with collaborations, strategic partnerships that then will result in your effort, your communication, reaching this end audience and seeing through the impact uh, that you are hoping to see realized. So that is the perspective of a behavioral scientist, communicate, create collaborative partnerships, trusted partnerships. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how far we progress from Davos and beyond. Yeah, looking forward as well. Um, so thank you very much. Um, now we have uh, our moderator coming uh, on, around the table and which will uh, keep uh, animating the table, the, the round table. Thank you, Coraline. 
Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm very happy to be moderating this conversation. Uh, before we get to it, I think it's a good time to have a quick introduction of our speakers here today. So, Hudi, I think we know you now. Timothy Nylander, you come from the US and you advise on public-private uh, collaboration initiatives and the financing mechanism. And you have worked on numerous global health disaster risk management, agriculture, but also financial inclusion development initiative. Then we have Isabel Fair and Michael Scheibenreif, who will be representing the international organizations coming from UNICEF. So Isabel, you are senior manager for partnerships and philanthropy at UNICEF. And uh, Michael, you work with the UNICEF innovation team heading the Green Yuma projects that you'll be telling us a bit more later on. And you also manage the regional UNICEF office for African Drone and Data Academy. And then we have so Maxime Maxer, uh, you are a lawyer and a public notary, both in France and Liechtenstein. And as mentioned, you're launching today the Impact Philanthropy Advisors to assist philanthropists um, in sourcing impact projects that they can support. And last but not least, we have Elmut Schutzter joining us from the UK live. So thank you again for that, Elmut. <laughs> you advise organizations focusing on innovation and social impact. And you have experience in both private and public companies. And you are also a business angel for several startups. I think I got it right. <laughs> so now we can move to the conversation and maybe starting with you, Timothy. Um, so a lot of your work has been focused on private and public collaboration, as we said, cooperation. Um, could you tell us more about this type of cooperation and maybe more precisely investment and the evolution that you saw in the recent years? And if also anything has been very different in the post-COVID era? Thank you, Coraline, and uh, hi, everybody. It's nice to be here. In fact, the first uh, public-private cooperation project uh, that I had the privilege to serve uh, was launched here in Davos in, in the year 2000. It was an announcement by the Gates Foundation, GlaxoSmithKline, UNICEF, and the World Health Organization to create a kind of a collaborative partnership to uh, provide greater access to vaccines uh, and uh, at that time to take a shot at MDG4, which was to reduce childhood mortality. And uh, when we came here located to uh, Geneva to work on that project, the question was how many actors can you get around the table to try to solve for that problem or maybe to break into new ground, as Rudy said, find different ways. Uh, and in that context, the, this type of project has begun to proliferate since then, where there are increasing numbers of so-called global partnerships or regional partnerships, which involve intergovernmental organizations as key partners because they're already conveners of many countries in the world, um, countries themselves to their development cooperation agencies like the Swiss uh, Development Cooperation Agency, then uh, the beneficiary countries represented in those communities and populations. Then you find private philanthropy. Um, this was, at the moment, one of those types of projects, and many of them since then stimulated through the catalytic funding by private philanthropy to kickstart uh, some sort of a partnership idea. Then usually in, uh, governmental development agencies come in on top of that and they aim at something like the sustainable development goals targets, looking for ways to make a mark and to uh, particularly impact um, countries with vulnerable populations. 
What they didn't realize and what's changed over the years is that you could be very successful in a partnership like this to achieve some measurements toward existing targets, but it may not solve, um, to your point, a systemic issue, which is maybe you put a Band-Aid on it or maybe you uh, fill an initial bowl, which is empty, of uh, food or initial need for medicine, uh, but then you might actually make your problem larger. And how is that? because perhaps you save a generation of children, but then they may uh, have children of their own, and pretty soon you almost have an exponential question that you have to continue to pour money, philanthropic uh, donations into a system like that. And the change, which I'm seeing more in the last seven or eight years, is that development agencies and philanthropists are beginning to ask themselves, is my money a grant into a system to fill the hole for now, or can we create something more like an impact investment to make this project financially sustainable or find, through innovation, something which maybe helps solve for the systemic problem that created the challenge in the first place? And to build on that, we hear a lot about new actors committed, committing themselves to impact in philanthropy, companies, startups, entrepreneurs, and individuals even, which goes in, in line with what you were just saying. So this is something that you witness, but can we already measure this phenomenon? Do we think that is this will be the third millennium philanthropy uh, type of project that we will have? If financial sustainability or systemic change uh, is the goal or is becoming the, the objective, at the moment it can't be measured because you don't know how big the problem is or maybe you don't know what the problem is, as you've said. So measurement is difficult, but what I can say is that if you look through the SDGs, uh, you began to see that without some innovation, some new thinking outside the box or without the box, it may be that nothing can really move the move the needle, as they say, or, or make the change. In which case, I don't think it's possible to measure, just to say the sky is absolutely the limit. And increasingly, the development impact investment that is needed here is more, in my view, to stimulate innovation, local problem solving. You may have heard of the UNDP have accelerator labs intended to identify local challenges rather than having uh, a think piece written by uh, a key professor at Oxford or some university, but rather finding local solutions and looking for ways to invest in, improve, and scale up what's a local solution that has a practical application on the ground. So I think the sky's the limit. I don't think you can measure it now, but the systemic issues will require filling those gaps in my view. Okay, well, thank you very much, Tim. Um, and now on to you, Maximien. As a lawyer and with IPA, you actually want to help philanthropists and institutions who are looking for funding to better work together and to have a more sort of efficient collaboration system. So does that mean that you consider it's not the case already and that the governance system that we, ha we have is not enough to ensure quality partnerships? Well, uh, good question. The thing is... As um, Tim just mentioned, measurement is quite difficult. But on the other hand, um, we have also increase of regulations. And giving out money uh, is actually not enough anymore. Uh, because on the regulation perspective, you also have to check now where the money is coming from and where the money is going to. And what we want to do is actually bring impact to measure the impact with also giving more information about the origin of the fund and where what people would do, what the institution or the philanthropist would do with the money. So uh, to check how the project is going and then 
accompany the, the, the beneficiaries with the financing. And um, so, for example, if you want to, to send uh, money to a school uh, in South America, uh, then you may have to check where, what kind of school is it and what kind of students you want to support because uh, part of the regulations, uh, you don't want to contribute to financing terrorism somewhere in the world. So that's also why impact in philanthropy is uh, important to measure not only on the imp um, it's important to measure on the financial impact and the social impact and how on the field this will be also measurable. But so building on that, I think the question we might have is, but how do you measure impact? How does one make sure that their financial financial support is put to good use? What you know, what criteria can we use? What system can we put in place? Regulations cannot make everything, but we have people which can bring advice and expertise and they can measure the impact. So we have to come back to basic and work with people, work together, bring experts, bring advisors around the table and tell them, okay, what do you think about this project? Do you think this is an impact uh, project or not? In your field, you have experience in the field of health or in the field of uh, culture, uh, education, environment. Um, do you have uh, experience? Do you think that this project will bring will have an impact uh, or not? And uh, then we work with compliance. We, we work with uh, um, regulations. Uh, not as something which is going to be negative, but as something to be positive, which is going to support the project. Um, this is the idea. And I think this is actually a great transition for you, Isabelle, because so how do you at UNICEF um, follow up with your partners and donors? I totally agree with what um, Shata said. We, we look at shared values partnerships. So first of all, we look what's the need of the children in the world? Is it an emergency? Is it a, a, an ongoing program like in Afghanistan? We've been there for more than 50 years. Is it something innovative, which uh, Michael will talk about it later? So first, the children and the needs of the children. And on the other side, the interests of our donors. And there, we have so, so many um, variations of donors. We have the private philanthropic um, people who have a foundation, maybe they, the foundation has a purpose. We have the corporation who has a, have CSR strategies and we talk to each other and, and find out uh, where at the um, life cycle approach of the child is the best need and where can we find the right program um, for our um, donors. Okay. and. Very interesting. And so, Michael, you're here to share with us very concrete examples of initiatives that you put together, both for youth and uh, and impact as well. So maybe let us know a bit more about your work. Yeah, more than happy to. Um, I think what I really want to start off with is that impact from investors and impact from donors, their definition should align with impact for children and young people. So I think that's the most important to start with. And then we as UNICEF have worked with... Uh, young Africans in the age of 16 to 24 across the continent to ask them what does prevent you from achieving impact. And they said that the support system is too fragmented and it's too hard to access. So what we basically looked at as Yoma, as UNICEF team, was how can we connect a young person while keeping his or her agency to different opportunities. Growing opportunities meaning this person can study, can learn, can do a learning <coughs> nugget and impact activities, which could be in the green sphere. 
So what we do now is with Yoma, with the youth, youth market, is that a young person can create a profile with us, a single sign-on, a self-sovereign identity, which will guide his or her, she or her, uh, she or him, sorry, um, along her learning to earning path and basically connected with different opportunities. So here she could do a challenge on how to overcome COVID with, uh, with a business idea. Then the next one could be how to use an app to take pictures of vegetation in, in the vicinity and upload it to ground truth European Space Agency data to see if there's climate change happening. Then the next one is a learning nugget on why um, reforestation is important. The next thing could be that this young person actually is part of a reforestation exercise then more learnings on how you can use um, drone data, for example, to map areas where reforestation has happened. And every, with every single step that this young person achieves, he or she is getting a credential on the blockchain to basically be able to prove what she or he has done. So this is impact, to see that this person can grow, that this person can be part of uh, sequestering CO2 for the atmosphere. And this also achieves impact for impact investors because they are easily able to see, well, if we talk about this or that uh, young person, we can see they did five learnings, they did two impact um, act actions, activities, and he or she was actually able to grow a whole CV, which is able to support him or her when it comes to working in the green economy, finding a job, convincing impact investors like yourself to actually invest money and make a difference. Thank you. Very interesting, Michael. Thank you. And also because I think, and we'll, we can come back to that later, but there is something about how do we bring tech into this mm. and how do we use tech? And now it's time to turn on to Helmut, who is uh, joining us live from London. Um, so, Helmut, you're one of the entrepreneurs who already took the step. Uh, so what advice would you give to, uh, would you share from your experience and how would you differentiate impact philanthropy from other type of investments that you may have? Yeah, I mean, let me start with, uh, firstly, thanks for having me here. Um, I very much appreciate that. I do realize it's never easy to bring somebody in via Zoom when everyone is there in person. Let me start with one thing, with one statement. Uh, I find it utterly amazing how difficult and complex it has gotten to give money for a good cause, yeah? to basically identify recipients for, there's a lot of money, there are many problems, but still the allocation process is completely broken. I think it doesn't work. Uh, so I very, very much agree with what Michael described. Uh, we need to basically have some ways of measure technology uh, uh, impact. I think that's gonna be very important, more transparency. You asked me also like, what is the difference between really impact philanthropy and other types of investment? I mean, there's one thing philanthropy needs to do is the reward of my investment should be seeing change in society for the better. Um, I think that, that's the key thing in a normal investment. You, at, at one point in time, I think you're just expecting to also get some sort of financial return. Um, th there's one point that is, in thinking about that uh, for a very long time, there's so much written about uh, giving and philanthropy and all these things. Uh, what, what I think, um, and I think Rudy, you said at the beginning, uh, it's not about continuation. It's not about evolution. And I do believe the act of giving is very, very ripe for disruption. Yeah? 
when when you think um, you know like like the big like big big philanthropists uh, like Jack Dory, I mean basically they say I don't want to have all the paperwork and all these things. I want to just have a huge chunk of money and want to give it to an organization, a trust, an individual trust. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're also going to see more and more young startups, and there are plenty. There are plenty. I think uh, the typical corporate career is not, you know, the one one way to success to see more of that. But what I found really interesting, and I do invest in a, in a few startups, uh, they all basically always connect their business purpose to some sort of uh, social purpose. And I think we're going to see more of that. And as this company, as these young entrepreneurs actually grow of age, I think we're going to see a lot of change. I think, uh, I think we see a lot of purpose-driven organizations. And I think that's probably a big disruptor. Yeah? But the key question I think we need to answer is what is the mechanism by which we actually basically find, find recipients, good recipients for good money? I think that's one of the key challenges ahead. Thank you, Elmut. And I would be curious to have your views on that, Rudy, because you are looking for thinking out of the box, systemic changes, etc. So how do you relate to what Elmut uh, has just explained? And this young generation also, you know, using tech and finding innovative ways of building projects. Um, yeah, I think this is a super important thing. Private markets, new things, young talents to support them, similar in sports. The, you need as well, not the sports stars from, from the past, you need the talent from tomorrow. Sometimes you need the sports stars from the past to identify the new talent. But on the playground, you need a, a dynamic team, which is crazy, fighting for... For, to win, right, in sports as, a, as, a, as an attitude. And what I believe as well, there's, now we have the problem of this impact measurement. People always try to, to get the logic figures, which is universal. But I think this is not the important thing now for, for young, because they, they do not have the time now to focus on the, uh, like an audit report. You go down the list and then you have to fulfill it that you get. It's more, more the philosophy, the, the direction, which you can't bring into figures. You have to see it more on a quality, quality, yeah. And this is, you have to describe it. And this is important, that's why I say as well, who is really impactful? I always say the people who, who start, who change markets. Maybe they're not the winners. Maybe sometimes you have people who start because it's super difficult to start. And it's not, the f as, as an investor, you not try to invest in the first one. You always try to in invest in the last one because the first one lose so much money and he has to use so much energy uh, to just getting there and then others come. But there it's, it's, the, it's the gap where we can bring in donations. Taking the risk, nobody's, nobody's take the risk. But to be successful by just starting a new way, a new direction, and this is fine to lose the money as a donor because you do something which makes sense. You started, you, change, uh, you started change, right? And change starts small and somewhere. It doesn't matter if it's an iPhone, it started as an, as an, as an idea by Steve Jobs. And then he brought it to a lab and then he created create a new product, a new market. And then with the App Store, he changed the whole world and so many markets. But it started as an idea. And I think that we have to, yeah, this large foundation should, should find now this opportunity to step in there and then as well uh, public money you need a lot of like in military you need the public money and then you have to start new directions and i think as well this collaboration is a very important thing and we always say there's no collaboration without communication 
And this is another very important thing. And I think this is as well a role now from Switzerland or Liechtenstein to be a neutral communicator. And this is for me neutrality and nothing else. And, and maybe we can have you, Maxima, commenting on, because I know you have quite a strong view on how philanthropy can help support public services. Yeah, that, thank you. And I think I also, of course, I do agree with what Elmut just mentioned, mentioned before. Um, important is also transparency in philanthropy, because this is also the key. We cannot be successful if the, uh, the, 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 the way we give is not transparent. So if we expect the beneficiary to be transparent, we have also as a donor to, to be transparent. So that's also what we, we would like to bring uh, in, the, in the third millennium, uh, is that philanthropy must be transparent and it has to be a right and an obligation on both sides from beneficiaries, but also from the donors, because uh, it's it's the beginning of everything. So if we want to build something great, it, the base has to be great and, and transparent. But but maybe on transparency, it would be interesting to have, because I know that UNICEF, you have a lot of mechanism already in place uh, in terms of transparency, reporting, etc. So it would be good to hear more from you. Yeah, the due diligence process within UNICEF is quite tough and strong, so we don't accept each and every money, which is important to a United Nations organization. So it's really, we really, even I work for partnerships and then I start talking to potential partners, then it goes through that due diligence process and sometimes we get the red lamp and or the red flag and they say, no, you cannot take this money. So... This is, I think it's, it, it's very important to us. And even so, um, it, it's, it's not fun to talk to potential partners and to say no to them, but without having this transparency, um, it's, it's not the way UNICEF wants to work. I think it's, it, it's good to, to say no as well. And so, because Timothy, you have been working on this a lot. How do you think this will evolve, uh, building on what we just discussed? and. How do you think the measurement will impact the relationship between public and private actors? Thank you. A great question. And in a way, I think that the measurement piece becomes part of the storytelling piece. So uh, at the end of the day, you want to see what that impact is. That results in kind of a narrative, maybe more importantly, a qualitative narrative, although much of what's done these days is quantitative to hit specific numbers. Targets, I think uh, what's coming is the fact that you've got uh, big data, massive access to sort of information uh, on the ground in local communities that can feed that feedback loop. Uh, the institute uh, that my wife and I set up called GP3 Institute focuses on uh, that sort of design element to overcome the borders between countries and pull together actors in some kind of way. But ultimately, those actors are trying to tell a story of some sort. And in this case, philanthropy serves a couple of purposes in terms of impact investing. One, it's de-risking it, as you said, put some free money at the bottom of the stack, allow people to run wild and, and do interesting things. But as you get towards the top of the stack, towards what I think of as the more financially sustainable, maybe systemic change, there's another component. Uh, some philanthropists, some private foundations are able to make equity investments, these what we think of as social impact investments. And there, uh, they're trying to create that systemic change and make it sustainable, but it's been de-risked by public money or private philanthropy money at the bottom of the activity. 
as you get to the top, more and more information will be available through that life cycle of that program. That turns into a feedback loop, which informs you know, what type of money or what type of activity might be most useful. And close to uh, our hearts, for me, this is really not about telling a great story in London or the US about how impact investors change the world. The projects I'm most interested in are ones that are driving a, a kind of a vesting system of equity and ownership into local communities so that they, they really become the owners of the solution. And, and, and it really, if, if in, in a perfect world, it's a local solution that may have some common themes that can scale up, but that, you know, it's that local ownership and local interest, I think, is the ultimate objective. Thanks. Can I add something? Yeah. Just very short. I think what is important as well, nowadays, we have to give money, but we have to give away as well power. Because this is really, people, there are many people who, who like to give away money, but nobody likes to give away power. And this is another big thing, what we have to do. We have to give, like, this, people have to do their, like, like, the world works. They have to get on the ownership of the things, what they do. But that's why we have to choose the best people. And then we support, support them with the money, and they have to take the decision by themselves. It'd be interesting to have... And what's perspective as an entrepreneur, how do you actually choose the projects that you want to support? And what makes you want to go in and join the, the team? Yeah, that, that was actually, I think that's an excellent question. And, uh, any kind of investment, any kind of project yeah, is basically the people who run it. Yeah? I think uh, there's so many SDGs, there's so many things you can do. I mean, the issues left and right. At the end of the day, you invest in people, their integrity and their drive in their um, vision of the world. I mean, this is for me the only viable. So before I give money to people in, in terms of like giving or invest in startups, I always spend many, many hours with the founders, co-founders of the initiative. This, this is the key thing. Can, can, do we have three minutes to give you an example of something? Yes. yes, of course. Yeah. So basically, like, like, I mean, that's the way I know Maximilian. I used to be an alumni of AFS, and AFS recently acquired or partnered with something called the Youth Assembly at the United Nations. So it's a summit. I think we now have like the 27th summit um, opened uh, at the United Nations, and I had the privilege to, to go there this the summer. And so AFS has a prize, it's called the AFS Young Citizen Award. Um, and it's not, it's not a big amount of money, it's $10,000. Um, but we always have like hundreds of applications to get that prize. And this year we awarded it to a guy from Nigeria who created some, something called the Boys Champions. And this is basically said in Nigeria, the biggest problem we face is actually that women are not you know, part of society. And in fact, there's so much violin, violence against women in Nigeria. So one third has been sexually harassed at one point in time in the life. And in fact, he was witness as a child when his mother was actually abused. So basically created this charity, uh, which is called uh, Boys Champions. And he was one of the people who did the pitch for the prize. And we all said, and we were a jury of four, said, well, this is by far the best we've ever heard. Yeah? And this guy is the most inspiring guy. He was shortly after invited by, by the Dalai Lama. He created like six months later, or three months later after, after the Youth Assembly, this big event for 2,000 leaders in, in Enugu, which is in, uh,
I really believe that we have to change habits. So that's behavioral change, because as we know, there's behavioral change, policy change, and technology change. 